tuck on anything in nature and you will find it is connected to everything else. We are looking at this famous quote by John Muir today through the lens of organic agriculture and its impact on society. Organic agriculture, honoring life, land and community. That's our topic here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. Science is showing us over and over again that in the great web of life, everything is interconnected. Which means, in other words, that good deeds and green practices have a far-reaching positive ripple effect throughout the world. And this is true for destructive practices as well, as those create a far-reaching ripple of negative consequences and implications. Because this is an organic conversation, of course, we will focus on the positive. Today I'm joined here in the studio by three ladies who have made organic food their career and who will share with us firsthand just how much sustainable food production and healthy agricultural practices have a tremendous positive effect on everything food touches, from the land and the farmer and all the way to the end consumer. Life creates life. Organic agriculture, honoring life, land and community, all that and more is coming up right after the break. Stay tuned. I'm Helga Helberg, and this is An Organic Conversation. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Our topic in this hour is organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. And I'm joined today by three women, Earl's girls, so to say, by three women of Earl's Organic Produce out of San Francisco. That's earlsorganic.com, of course, a partner in this production of an organic conversation for years and a wholesaler of organic food solely dedicated to organic fruits and vegetables. With me now is Christy Biddle, fruit buyer, Susan Simmitz, marketing and social media manager, and Jessica Cole, quality assurance and inventory control specialist. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. So three women in what is traditionally more a uh, uh, much more male dominated world of distribution and wholesale can you explain what you do you have three very distinctly different positions christy do you want to start sure so i am a fruit buyer at earls organic i've been a fruit buyer for going on four years and i buy avocados berries stone fruit grapes kiwi and uh, tropical fruits throughout different times of the year Great. Thank you. Susan, how about you? I have been at Earl's for about five years, and my job is to share my passion for organic growers and their commodities, talk about their geography and seasonality, educating our consumers and also our customers. So you're the liaison between what Christy does buying and then you communicate it to the world of what's coming in and what's next in exactly. the store. Exactly. And I work with the buyers too to find out what's in season, the nuances of what it's tasting like at that moment and how can I share that information through stories, photos, videos too to the world. Nice. The ears and eyes of the land. Uh, Jessica, how about you? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I work in our inbound operations department, focusing mostly on quality control, so making sure that all of the product is up to our standards when it comes in and as it you know stays in our warehouse, uh, as well as inventory control, so we actually know what we have and that it matches up to our uh, computer system so that the sales team is selling you know what product we actually have in-house. So between what Christy yeah. buys and what Susan communicates to the world, you make sure that it actually happens. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that it looks good. Um, the angle of this episode, Organic Agriculture Honoring Life, Land and Community, is to to show or, or really talk about how much your work actually changes society from you know supporting the farmer in the field, Christy, through your work, working with small-scale farmers. How many farmers do you work with? Dozens, probably close to 40. And most of them are seasonal or do you have year-round farmers? A number of them are seasonal, yes. Can you describe the age bracket that you are covering? Like how, how young is the youngest, how old is the oldest? Youngest farmers, I would say, are probably um, in their early 30s. And gosh, we've got growers that have been doing this for decades and really pioneers in the movement for 30 to 40 years. What attracted you to to come to this field of wholesale? Wholesale usually or distribution, if some whatever item it may be, people would think it's guys in trucks bringing things from A to B. Nobody knows what's happening. It's all behind the scenes, kind of whatever is you know, whatever the products that are being shipped. But it's it's kind of a, a trucking associated world with it, and that is true. Of course, product needs to be shipped from the field to the warehouse checked by Jessica and communicated by Susan and then brought into the retail stores. And yet this kind of male-dominated world on an agricultural level is changing, right? What, what changes have you seen? How many female farmer or couples are deciding to come back to the land? I think there certainly are more women in agriculture now than there have been in the past. And as I started thinking about this show and, you know, getting excited to come and talk about this, I actually called my grandmother, who I come from uh, a family with roots in Kansas and farmers who have been farming the land out there for about 100 years. And it's interesting, you know, now I've got cousins out there that ride tractors, but women back in the day when my grandma was growing up in the 30s, would tend to a small garden that the family really lived off of, uh -huh. while men were out growing hay or oats and corn and the larger crops. So for their um, own needs, they always had yes. subsistence. Yeah, and I think that's true of a lot of small farms. I think women um, are growing food that farm families are using as sustenance, even if they're growing bigger, you know, one or two crops for livelihood women will help out with a number of smaller crops that the family lives off of. I think women, you know, we have a lot of nurturing qualities innate to us. And I think that comes in handy when it is when it comes to growing food and looking at what a plant needs. I think women have a special insight with that. Was that what attracted you to this field or how, how did you come in? For me, I... I'm very passionate about sustainability and the environment, and uh, organic agriculture is a gr because so much land is dedicated to agriculture. If we're doing that organically and sustainably and consciously, that can have a huge impact on American soil and farmland in our country and beyond. So to me, it's a great way to have a positive impact on the world. Yeah, it's, I would say maybe one of the, the areas where we can have the single largest impact, right, from distribution, actually, the business you guys are in, in one way or another, to um, the land use, really agriculture kind of defines the overall sustainability of a nation. Thank you for that. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Our topic in this hour is organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. Jessica, how is it for you? You don't deal directly with the farmer, or do you give farmers a call when a product comes in as, you know, you receive the product, you make sure it's up to the standards that was negotiated, there's not too many blemishes, and then you make sure it's stored right for, you know, a few hours or a few days before it goes on to the retail store, right? Mm -hmm. You're the, yeah, exactly, you're the quality assurance specialist, that's exactly yeah, what you, you do. you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> um, but as for dealing directly with the grower, in most cases, we 
as the inbound team, we don't see the grower directly. That we do have some smaller growers who will deliver their own product, and that's sort of a, a special time you get to actually talk to them. Um, but most of the time, it is through the buyers, like Christy. And if the product is not up to yeah. par, you let her know, and you don't call them directly and say you're right. Exactly, every all of the communication to the growers does go through our our buying team, our purchasing team. Um, so that's I would think you know being on the dock. When do you when do you start working at like four in the morning you or generally something? Generally four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Or really? laughs> I thought it would be extreme. Then you say no, it's actually it's five, but or three, but it's really uh, four, at four o'clock. Inventory seven, but yeah, really four o'clock. So it's a cold. Yeah. Yeah. You know, big cement dock. The trucks are rolling in. It's dark most of the time. Maybe a few oh, months of the well year. Lit. Yeah. yeah, no, but uh, like the, it's not daylight yet <laughs> oh, by far. Almost never is middle it of the night. That's yeah. right. Um, so you get up at like two thirty or in the wee hours, and that particularly that part of receiving the trucks and the loads and the forklifts and you know beep beep like the, that mm-hmm. that whole world is is traditionally completely masculine, and yet you're a woman. What attracted you to it, and how how has it been to work in an male-dominated area of gross organic? Well, for me, I come before coming into produce, I was actually in engineering. So coming from a male-dominated environment to produce, which is, you know, male-dominated, wasn't that big of a leap. But what attracted me to it was similar to Christy, the sustainability aspect of produce. I've always been interested in health and being able to give that to a wider group of people. So it was an interesting mesh of interests between the detail-orientedness from engineering and then all of a sudden I've got this promotion of, of healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle coupled with something that is sustainable. <clears throat> You know, I, I started as a customer of Earl's and one day found myself working for them, you know, to make a long story short. And how, how do yeah. you find your male counterparts? Are you the only woman in receiving? No, actually, there are three of us. Out of how many overall? Probably 20. So 17, yeah. 17 guys, yeah. three women. Yeah, something how, like how that. Have you, were you the first? or? Um, well, when I came, there was a, a girl that I was replacing she trained me and then she went off to vet school so for a few months I was the only girl down there and I really didn't notice much of a difference I mean we work together as a team and we all have the same skill set and are trained you know individually and we focus on our strengths some of which you know some of us are great on a forklift some of us are great on on writing reports Um, all of us can do (laughs) all of the above Um, and you feel you you do yeah. receive the respect and the like maybe some awkwardness in the beginning for the first female hire maybe not but yeah I didn't even feel like it was there I mean at Earl's it was it was just you introduce yourself as really as a person and you're given the respect that everybody else is given do you feel that's part of that particular workplace because Earl Herrick the founder of Earl's Organic big shout out of course uh, has created this kind of equal or level playing field for if you know you're here for your talent and for your passion for produce and that's it it doesn't mm-hmm. you know gender color it doesn't really matter you know that very much might be the case but i haven't had the opportunity to work in other uh-huh. you know produce businesses so I, i can't really speak to that as much unfortunately you're listening to an organic conversation i'm helga helberg and our topic in this hour is organic agriculture and its impact on society honoring life land and community. I'm joined here in the studio by three women, the Earl's Girls, three women off Earl's Organic Produce. That's earlsorganic.com and also on Facebook, Earl's Organic for produce tips and recipes and seasonal uh, stories. With me is Christy Biddle, the fruit buyer, or one of the fruit buyers, I should say, of Earl's Organic. Um, Jessica Cole, Quality Assurance and Inventory Control Specialist, and also Susan Simmets, Marketing and Social Media Manager. Susan, I think you're the longest standing member here tonight, today. Actually, no, Christy's been oh, really? nine years, Christy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine and a half. Wow. I'm hitting five at the end of this month. So you do, you do marketing and social media. You basically, you listen to the land. You listen to what's, being, what's coming in, what Christy is buying, and what Jessica making sure... 
you know, is, is up to the standards. And, and then it goes to the retail store. So you, you, you have both your ear on the land and with the farmer and then somehow beautifully communicate all that in stories and pictures and recipes and seasonal items and tips to the end consumer and to retail stores, right? Exactly. Is that a good summary? That is a very good summary. How have you found that society has changed in the five years that you're there? Or how, when I look at wholesale and retail, education was never a part of it. It's mm -hmm. one of the most anonymous parts of society, right? It happens at night. If you go on a freeway at night, there are, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trucks. Nobody knows what's in it and where they're going, but that's how the system works. And you kind of put a name and face on all of this. You're actually responsible that the, the young 30-year-old new farmer is creating a brand and a face and a story around it. Right, and sharing their story, not only interviewing them, but also going to visit them. So we make an effort to do farm, farm visits as a organization. So it not only is the buyers, but it could be people from sales or the warehouse or whoever is interested in going. And part of that is getting that story while you're on the land or whether it's on the phone and, and sharing that. And since I've been there five years, our social media has grown um, like crazy. It used to just be Facebook with only a couple hundred people. And now we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. And I would say we're reaching people all over the world. So it's not just people in the Bay Area that we're affecting who care about that grower. They can go to the store and find and eat. But just learning about produce, the season, what are the nuances of flavor? How do you pick that piece of fruit or, you know, whether it's an avocado and what time of year is the best to eat it and how do you eat it. Um, so. so that's 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 basically a part of the marketing strategy of a farmer, right? On a relational level, what feedback are you getting from young, particularly young farmers, but really anyone you work with when you when you were hired and actively are promoting their farm? I think it varies from grower to grower. A lot of growers are not used to having their story being told. I bet. <laughs> so if they are an older um, generation, I'm usually begging the son or the daughter to take their iPhone and to go into the orchard and to please take some pictures of what's on the tree and maybe some workers and to help me share their story. Because without the content, it's harder to tell that story. Sure. So, you know, visually, we find more and more people will click on our Facebook postings. Um, Instagram is actually one of my favorite ways to share. All you're doing is really, you know, it's the visual is what you're going for. And then you're, you might read a little bit about it. But if I have these amazing pictures, whether I took it or I got someone on the farm to do that, that makes a huge difference. What's your experience when, when you now all of a sudden, I mean, it's new for them. Older generations might not be used to it. I think that's actually the, the problem. Our food has become way too anonymous. When you go to the average grocery store, you see at best tomatoes. You don't see the varieties and you definitely don't see, see the farm name. And maybe that's changing now in some cities or definitely mm -hmm. here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But at large, there are many stores where there's cucumbers and there's you know, celery in there, tomatoes, and that's it. You don't know which varieties, you don't know where they're from, how far they were shipped. Maybe there's a little sticker of origin somewhere. But farmers, it's a, unfortunately, it's a population or a part of our society, agriculture, part of our culture that has become completely anonymous. We don't know the farmer anymore. Mm -hmm. You are putting that system on its head. You're the, you're the antidote to that. You're actually telling in not just, you know, this week it's tomatoes, you're saying, here's the farm and they just had a child and here's the baby photo. Like you're, you're putting <laughs> the human back in farming. Well, you can see what's happening on a daily basis. So depending on the grower, some we have represented deals with that we will work with exclusively all year um, or seasonal. And so we will sh share their story in more detail. And so that can be things from pictures as the buyers go down to visit them, also me interviewing them on the phone and doing um, huge promotions so that we're sharing things across all content. So it, it really varies. But I have found with some of the farms, they'll have their own uh, website and Facebook page where they are starting to share. So that helps me pull content off that and also to help promote them where some other farms won't have anything. And so it's my job to really get their name out there and to let people know who they are. And then there's on the retail side and how much they actually promote that grower and the varieties, as you say. Not every retail store will go into heirloom varieties of tomatoes, but 
I love personally sharing those different varieties that come into the warehouse and what that means and what that tastes like. Do they feel recognized again? Do you get a sense that that recognition, which we should, you know, revere our farmers as we revere doctors or, you know, maybe more so, but at least, you know, it's it's what keeps us alive. Do, do you get a sense that it might be awkward at first, but there's a deep sense of, of healing that you create? I think they love that someone cares and that you are sharing what they work so hard to do. And so there's definitely some younger growers this year that we started working with and taking all of their hard work and putting that out onto social media. I definitely get comments from people and they acknowledge they see what we're sharing. Um, so I think I do think that it's nurturing and that it gets them motivated to continue doing what they're doing. Organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. That's our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be right back with so much more. Stay tuned. We are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and our topic in this hour is organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. I'm grateful for the support of our underwriters. Thank you to Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and the culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or the culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to our partner, Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables. Earl's Organic has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. If you want to offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients, Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Fry Vineyards is dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming. Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines from Mendocino County at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. That's our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. We are talking about the practice of growing healthy food and the ripple effect it has on society of good green practices, uh, all the way from the land to the farmer and the end consumer and everything in between. And the everything in between, the ones that make it possible actually here in the studio with me, I have three women from Earl's Organic Produce, an organically focused, entirely organically focused wholesaler of organic fruits and vegetables out of San Francisco, earlsorganic.com, and also the Facebook page, Earl's Organic, for tips and recipes. And with me are Christy Biddle, the f one of the fruit buyers at Earl's Organic, and Jessica Cole, quality assurance and inventory control specialist, making sure it all is up to par. And Susan Simmets, marketing and social media manager, really the ear and the voice of sustainable agriculture. Susan, how how were you attracted to to this industry and being the role of communicating the story and the the hardship and the beautiful results between soil and consumer? Well, I grew up in a family where we loved to cook. So it's always been in me. But when I got to high school, my parents would give me gift certificates for the San Francisco Culinary School. 
and I would spend my free time going and taking classes and learning how to do all kinds of crazy cooking that nobody in my family would necessarily appreciate because I was um, doing unusual types of cooking. But it was really fun for me. I was looking for a career change, and I really wanted to do something where I could use my love of food. And it was a lot of soul searching and trying to figure out where I wanted to be. But I ended up meeting a marketing manager for a farm up here in Santa Rosa area and had an interview with him. And as I'm interviewing him and we're sitting there, a car goes slowly by, the window unrolls, and this person leans their arm out and goes, more healthy food. And I was like, wow, who's that? And he said, oh, that's a local produce buyer for one of the grocery stores. And I thought, wow, people in produce are so passionate. (laughs) And I was just really wowed because I came from a completely different industry. I came from advertising uh, for many years. And I also worked on TV shows. And I lived in Japan for a couple of years. So I've had a really different career. And he yeah, gave me some really good insight and suggested I go down to the produce market and to walk around. But not so early because people are really busy selling on the market, but not so late that everything's closed. And that's how I ended up at Earl's. I walked the market and I talked to every single stall on the market, which was very enlightening. And that kind of goes back to the male-dominated um, part of the industry. I just noticed there were only a few handful of women on the San Francisco produce market working. So I was a little hesitant, but I have a lot of uh, assertiveness and confidence. So I just kept talking to people and ended up walking in Earl's door, and he gave me an hour off the street where I had no produce background, but I had a passion for food. And Earl has taught me something every single day. And so for me, my love of this is learning about something every single day, whether it's about the grower or a nuance of what happens every season. Or when I take a bite of that satsuma mandarin, why is it different at the beginning of the season versus the end? And so that's why I love it every single day. So (laughs) while you were speaking, obviously you're living this passion, all three of you. (laughs) You you love what you do. I'm looking at three beaming faces (laughs) in the studio. And uh, it's, it's interesting to me that agriculture and how and its demise really we we have lost millions and millions of farmers in fact in the next 10 years or so we will have 50% of our agricultural base reach retirement age the average age of the US farmer is about 58 or 59 and within the next 10 years potentially we will lose 1 million farmers out of the 2 million we have left that's 50% and there's no real strategy or uh, not at all a policy in place or any kind of media attention that that will take place and any idea of how to replace those 1 million farmers that we are losing besides you you are doing that uh, it has been a kind of technology driven you know pesticide reliant male dominated industry working with the land, using it as a prepping ground for plants in a sterile way. So there, there was no life around it. And the, the feminine, the soil, the seed bearing, all that, you are representing that. You're actually literally, as women, bringing that element, that passion, that creativity back to an industry that was going down the wrong direction. Now we call it organic agriculture and sustainable agriculture, but it's really allowing life, allowing seed, allowing fertility to come back into the soil. How aware are you of that, that you are representing basically the antidote to to what is destined to not work anymore if we erode the soil any further and that you are creating life? Is that a daily part of, of your work, Christy? Making sure that our farmers are able to continue doing what they're doing, that it's economically sustainable and, you know, sustainable on all levels um, is a part of every day. You know, finding a price at which, especially as larger farms get into the organic movement and are producing organic conventional conventional farms, transitioning land over to organic, which is fantastic, you know, to see that happening. And, And really hard. Yes, and it creates challenges for smaller yes. growers who, <clears throat> you know, still have to make it and can't compete mm-hmm. at the same prices. So finding a way to navigate that and support growers and, you know, make it a win for them, a win for Earls where and for our customers to be able to sell something at a price it moves at the store and supports the grower is 
an incredibly interesting challenge every day. Jessica, how about for you? Are you when you get up at two and work at four and it's all dark and it feels cold and cementy, are you are you aware how much you you are changing society to bring life back in? You know, I'm going to be honest on a day to day basis. Maybe maybe not. But what we do really focus on is that every box that comes into the store is or comes into the warehouse is organically certified. And if it's fair trade, that we are making sure that we are continuing um, that effort that the grower has put in into so or into the the end use, so that you know our customers still realize you know who certified this product, um, that it is fair trade. There's still a and story around exactly, it. Exactly, exactly, that that's not lost somewhere in the warehouse. Yeah. Susan, it's obvious that you live it, but are you aware of it, how much you are actually? I think working with the buyers to create promotions or even the demand for the product that they're buying, that's where I get really excited thinking about the change when I can, I also do some sales. So when I talk to some of the customers and they've seen something I've created where it has the story on there, there's photos and they, they, they can understand more about the farmer and what they're doing and they want to support the farmer. And so that goes back to, yes, we're going to be able to keep selling their product and keep them in business and they will continue to thrive. And so that is just a big circle from buying to sales to um, social media. How open are retail stores? Because I, I know that anyone I've ever met in this movement, they want stories. We are, you know, our, the, almost the, the richness of one's life is based on how many stories you can tell, right? How, what have you experienced? How much flavor, how much variety, how much how many stories were you touched by as agriculture is changing and as you are changing wholesale all through organic food how much is retail changing I think it changes a lot. We have a lot of customers that you can walk in and they have huge boards in their produce department that have blown up pictures of that farmer and it just it's eye-catching and you can already tell the story from a few sentences. And you're you're in that small area of the produce and you you already feel like, "Wow, that farmer I can buy here, I can buy this one is coming from this area." On my end, it's really the education that I share with the retailers. They take it in different ways. So I can provide them with point-of-sale cards that they'll put on their display. Some of them are open to that. Some just want the story. They can translate into their own marketing ways, whether it's in their flyer or something they handwrite on a display. It's not always the way that I give it to them, but there's definitely customers who are buying into that story a little bit more than others. And talking about customers, you were saying your your website, your social media is now received and welcomed in anywhere around the world, even though Earl's as a wholesaler. What's your the region you cover um, in both in sales and in, in, in buying? Well, in buying, we focus as local as we can, but we go as far as we need to. So mm. we have pineapple from Costa Rica or mangoes from Mexico and stone fruit from Fresno. So the buying is very broad. Our customers who we distribute to are as far south as Monterey, east to Reno, and north to Eureka. So that's a very wide circle around the San Francisco Bay Area, but really in, in international shipping and in international terms, you're, you're a local distributor in that sense. Definitely. Uh, in a, from a world perspective. And yet, Susan, you have, you're saying you have people who are interested in the story anywhere around the world. What feedback are you getting? How, how do you know that? Uh, definitely by looking at analytics is one way. So we can see people that have been clicking on from whether it's Thailand or Japan or Russia. But I definitely see on Instagram lots of people following us from all over Europe. That's one of the biggest areas I've noticed. Um, and What is it? Like, why? Why would you think? I think it's just it's the photos that they love food and it's eye catching. And then they've learned something. And so we might get comments. Beautiful. Looks delicious. Wish I could buy it. You know, I'm a million miles away, but they have that quick connection. And so that always makes me feel good. It's instant gratification just through sharing information. 
But we definitely get comments on Facebook and people sharing. And by one person sharing, it goes to a million more people. So You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Our topic in this hour is organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. And again, here with me in the studio are three women from Earl's Organic a San Francisco-based wholesaler of organic fruits and vegetables, earlsorganic.com, the website. With me is Christy Biddle, fruit buyer, Susan Simmons, marketing and social media manager, and Jessica Cole. She's the quality assurance and inventory control specialist. We're almost out of time, but I want to take that energy of what you do every day, Jessica, making sure the product looks good and, and behaves right and is ripe and in, in perfect shape before it goes to the retailer. And Christy, you working with the farmers, you know, helping them in transitioning from non-organic to organic practices. That's a really um, t three-year transition time that is not easy to, to navigate because they can't call it organic yet, even though they have to adhere to organic practices. And those are usually more labor-intensive and cost a little bit more money. So you making sure that the infrastructure of farming is as supported as it possibly can And then, Susan, you telling the stories. You're all three women. How does this affect you on a personal level, not just job-wise, but are you planning on having babies? Are you, are you hopeful for the world? How do, you, how do you live when you, I think, at 10 in the morning when you're done, Jessica? Like, <laughs> how do you go off your job into the world? And what have you, what's, your, what's your view on the world coming from this kind of job? Why don't you start, Christy? All right. I am optimistic. That is my default <laughs> perspective on life. But I, you know, in working with growers and the people that I am able to throughout my day, I meet so many people that are passionate and care so much about what we do and, you know, growing things sustainably, selling things sustainably, eating well living a healthy life, and making sure that that can continue for the next generation. So while I don't have children myself, I hope to one day. And it's, it's a crazy world out there, but we're doing our part to keep it healthy and, and um, yeah. Jessica. Yeah, from, from my perspective, I feel like each box really tells a story. And each box is, is packed with a lot of care and Uh, with a with a lot of concern for the food that's in it. And you know that if the box looks like this, then there has to be the care and concern taken for the soil and for the land that it came from so that they continue putting together, you know, boxes that are just full of absolutely gorgeous, delicious produce. And that in turn makes me think, well, if these people are caring so much about their food, you know, I need to care about the food I eat and where I shop and, and the actions that I take day to day. And how I can help sharing this with other people. So I think that it starts a, a much bigger conversation. You know, food is, is a happy thing and people, you know, enjoy sitting around the dinner table and talking and getting together. And, and so I feel like it's the start of all of that and a start of a more integrated community. Beautiful, yes, Susan. I would say my job as a, an educator is never done. And in my personal life, I find myself if at the grocery store. I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's picking a piece of fruit and I can't help myself because I just talked about something that is so delicious. And, and I will go up to these people and just say, oh, I really think that you should buy this one. Or I might know the person in that produce department and say, can you cut them a piece of that? And they just kind of look at me. But <laughs> I feel like I... Do you I, work here? No. <laughs> I don't work here. I, I'm just promoting and... <laughs> And I feel like I get so many people excited about whatever that item is or that particular grower, and I hope that that's contagious. And I go to um, group dinner parties with my girlfriends, and there's always a story behind what I bring. I don't just bring food. I, I can't help myself. It's, you know, this is so fantastic because of this is where we are in the season. This is the grower, and did you know they're a fifth-generation farmer, and their daughter is now taking this over, or whatever the story may be. So it's never-ending, constantly changing story. And I love it. And the beauty of that is that it, there, when we talk about food, organic or non-organic, there is always a story, which brings us right back to the beginning of the show. It can be a story of destruction, unfortunately, or it can be a story of, of life and sustainability. Either way, whether we know the story or not, there is a story. 
and um, thank you all three for supporting the <laughs> the sustainability story. Uh, really appreciate you coming in and for all your work. And yeah, that sums up the interview for organic agriculture, honoring life, land, and community. But since I have you, and since the next segment is usually what's in season, I would love to try to do a what's in season with all your roles. So I'm Helga Helberg. This is an organic conversation. And um, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. And Thank we'll you. be back with what's in season in just a minute. And it will be the most complete what's in season we've ever done because we have the produce buyer <laughs> and the quality control manager here and the marketing specialist. So I want you to do what item will it be? Melons. Melons. We'll talk about melons. So I'm going to cue up the music here for what's in season, but we're going to do this really differently this time. This time, not with Earl, <laughs> Earl Herrick himself, who usually calls in every week with the produce item of the week that we are featuring and highlighting. But this time, from the dock, from the quality control, from the buyer perspective, and certainly from the marketing perspective, here is what's in season. So I want to uh, really do this the way actually the melons in this case, melons is the item of the week, makes it from the field, from the soil really, onto the produce shelf at the grocery store. Christy, walk us through. When you work with a grower who grows melons, do you know they should be coming up and you give them a call proactively? Do they call you and say, oh my gosh, my melons are done in four days, uh, you know, I can harvest them. How, how much, how does it work? How much lead time do you have to know they're coming? Growers will generally know, you know, at least two weeks before when they're getting close to ready to harvest. And then... They call you or you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it comes to a point where we're like, oh, it's mid-July, we should have heard from Full Belly by this time. I'm, you would think they're getting ready to start with their melons. Yeah. Then we'll call them. But usually growers are good about contacting us as they're getting close. So you get a call. I have amazing melons in this case, two weeks out. And then you, what, assess how many you want to buy or how much he has, how much quantity? Yeah, usually the grower will, you know, tell us it looks like the crop is up this year, it looks like the crop is down, the drought or, you know, weather conditions of that particular year will dictate what the crop looks like and what the overall volume is, and that's kind of where you start. And then you make sure the he, I mean, he doesn't know yet if the quality is outstanding, right? If the crop still needs two weeks to ripen, he can only say, I think this will be an amazing crop, but... Uh, right. Where does it, you know, do you build on trust or history or how do you know, yes, in two weeks we will get a stellar melon crop? A lot of it we do rely on the grower's expertise and really knowing their field and uh, when it's ready to pick because melons are quite tricky in that yeah, way. You can't look into them. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, so uh, experience and knowing the growers that we work with and have provided good fruit over the years is cool. um, sure. a really great way. Jessica, when you get the box of melons, do you cut one open or how do you, what is it? I know you're shooting the truck, right? You're basically having a heat gun to make sure it got cooled. Is that true for melons too? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Every truck that pulls up to our dock, we're taking the temperature of because some trucks will carry, you know, one thing, some trucks carry another oh, and yeah. you want a lettuce truck, a different temperature than a watermelon truck or, you know, other... Of course. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we want to try to keep, you know, the Sounds temperature right. the same from when they're cooled after coming out of the field till when we're storing them and we don't want any variations. So absolutely, we check the temperature of the truck before it comes in. But then it comes in, we see the pallet, we open every product that comes in, we take a look at it, we see something new and, and everybody sort of gets excited, especially with the with the melons and some of the other fruits that come in. And the big um, question, of course, the listeners have, do yeah. you get to taste every oh, single... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you absolutely. have to, right? We, we you, have to so test it when it comes in, Let me just reframe your job. <laughs> you basically are getting paid tasting food. Right? Sometimes. Every day. <laughs> That's amazing. So, well, I mean, we can't eat too much. Otherwise, there's none to pass on no, to everybody else. No, but one of each, right? <laughs> one of each gets eaten and yeah, tasted. Yeah, sure. So, so not only do we taste it, but we'll actually take the sugar content and make sure, you know, on a on a specific level so that the buyers know, oh, this is what it is this week. And then we can sort of continue to monitor it as the season 
progresses. Oh, so you guys um, talk with one another and say, wow, they're getting really sugary now. I don't think we have three weeks left, right? Like those things get communicated absolutely. even to buyer yeah. and seller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially it's good feedback for us to give the grower, hey, you know, this came in, what we call the bricks, which is a measure of the sugar is really low. You know, we need to give this was more picked a little or something prematurely. Yeah. yeah, so... And then Susan, of course, gets to eat it all and says, this I was going to talk about tasting too, but <laughs> yeah. the fruit buyers are so awesome. They bring up um, one of the melons each time it comes in and we cut it open. And um, especially if it is melons, we'll put them in small pieces on a plate. We'll label them so that people in the office, as they're walking through the kitchen, can grab a piece and try it. And not only does that get you know the buyers and the sales team excited, but just anybody who works at Earl's who's going to pass that on, right? So it's that knowledge sure. of, oh my gosh, this um, San Juan melon from Full Belly is so amazing. Let's split a case. And so we eat for the job, but we also buy well, for ourselves. you best customers. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am one of the best customers. And then sharing um, photos of maybe it's just the Earl's team tasting in, in this, what set, this is what sets us apart from other wholesalers, I feel like is a lot of the, the education and being able to tell you what that flavor profile is that day. You call me to buy it, I can tell you what it's going to taste like, and not everybody can do that. So for an end consumer, right, because melons are tricky, and usually we say, you know, half one of whatever, stone fruit, and then you can, you know, or a cherry, and then you know if you want to buy the basket with melons, it's a little trickier. You could say, please cut it open to the produce manager at, at your grocery store, and then I buy it if it's really good. But you might not always get to that. How do you pick a good melon, and what varieties are we looking at right now? Great. So what we have here um, is a honeydew. We have two Charente melons and a cantaloupe. There are some myths around how to pick the best melon. Smelling a melon is actually not an indicator. You know, a lot of people you'll see in the store smelling the stem end um, to that, try to I get never did fragrance. That. Yeah, never did no, that. no. <laughs> That's so not correct. Obviously. Um, but actually, the best way to test the quality or get the, you know, give it the best guess the is weight. to feel it and see how heavy that melon is. Also, a firm melon, you don't want for it to be soft in any spots. So a nice, firm, heavy melon is an indication that it's going to eat really well. How about the, where the stem was attached? Once in a while, there are produce items when if that's really dry, it was harvested, obviously, a longer time away than if it was still green. It works for some produce. It doesn't work for the same the same rule. But how is that with melons? Is that an indicator? With some melons, so netted melons, they will slip when they're harvested. And if some of the stem is still attached, it might not have been quite ready. So there should not be a stem attached. Nice. Yeah. So it should just come right off. Exactly. When nice. it's harvested. And the, the heaviness is an in interesting thing. You don't hear that that often. If you have two different two of the same size, same pieces of produce, the, the variance between weight can be tremendous, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I did that, I forgot what it was, but it was clearly a, a third and maybe half heavier, I think even stone fruit, than the other. So going by weight means water, means sugar, means, right? Means exactly flavor. right. Yep. Great. So we have those three different varieties. That's what people find. How about the netting on, what is this one? On the cantaloupe? Yeah. So Somebody you told me once that it should be even and... Yeah, even and um, a straw color, I've heard from growers, will indicate that it's going to be especially good. How do you store them once you buy them? So all of these melons you would want to put in the refrigerator. Watermelons, on the other hand, you want to keep on your counter. You don't want to put those in the fridge. It will throw the texture off. Nice. So just red watermelons, never in the fridge. All these you can. Exactly. And if you feel it's really ripe or you buy two and one is already really ripe, how do you, can you stop ripening? Can you, can you cut them up and store them cut up? Does that ripen slower? You can. I would suggest cutting it Just enjoying it. <laughs> if, if you cut it, go ahead Why and eat it. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> Just eat it. <laughs> What else do you have? Is that pretty much? Yeah, so this is a, we also have a Charente melon here, which is originally from Western France. 
They are a really, really tasty varietal melon. For those of us that are here in the studio, we can see it isn't the prettiest melon. We can hold it up to the mic, but it's basically a smaller, <laughs> a smaller melon, like maybe the size of a coconut, maybe a little bit bigger yellow with um, greenish, light pale greenish stripes around it. Very pretty. Yeah, so it doesn't really fit so well into the box that produce tends to be these days where it's beautiful and big. They size up smaller. They are a little rougher looking, but they have a fantastic, really sweet and complex flavor. Great. Um, so I recommend, you know, asking the produce people at the store if there are any varieties that are in season. Sometimes it's just for two or three weeks. There's some really fantastic fruit out there. Nice. And I thought somebody brought a recipe. Susan. <laughs> oh, I do have a very good melon recipe that I just made this weekend. Take slices of your favorite melon. I actually did the San Juan melon from Full Belly, but it could be any of your favorite um, melons that have good flavor. Even watermelon? Actually, I would not say watermelon yeah, with this particular one. Yeah, more of a yellow flesh. So it could even be a cantaloupe, um, honey lope, and put it with slices of heirloom tomatoes. Make a simple vinaigrette of equal olive oil and red wine vinegar. You, you only need a couple tablespoons and put a little salt and pepper, and then gently toss the melon and the tomatoes with that. And then I did little dollops of really amazing fresh burrata cheese and sprinkled basil on top. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds good. Do not store it in Nothing your refrigerator. You absolutely have to finish eating it. And of course, all those recipes, as always, on earlsorganic.com or Facebook. Earl's Any Organic. of our social media pages. Yes, great recipes and produce tips and farm stories if you want to learn more about where your food came from and what the story behind it is, earlsorganic.com. Thank you so much what you do, really. Um, it makes this show possible. It gives me something to talk about that I'm passionate about. And um, yeah, you're changing agriculture, you're changing the industry, and you're changing the consumer and with that um, society at large. So keep on rolling. Nice. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Helga. And that sums up this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg, and thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. Take care. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y wine.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at anorganicconversation. And our Twitter handle is talkorganic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here. Same place, same time next week. See you then. <laughs>